Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. Blessed to have an audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Say it every night. I am blessed beyond measure. All reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope that this show, this time of day, finds you and yours doing as well as you possibly can. If you're not doing so well, Hopefully that will turn around for you. Hopefully we'll be able to give you something to think about, something to escape into for the next hour here on 104.5 The Zone. My DMs at Jmart Zone always wide open for faith-based conversations. Folks, do take advantage of that. I don't just say it into the ether, and I do try to get back with everybody. Sometimes it takes me a few days, but it is definitely important to me to be approachable and certainly be someone that you can reach out to. If not me, I hope there's somebody out there that you can reach out to that uh, can have that conversation with you. It's very, very important that you do so. Bill Barnwell put out a pretty interesting article yesterday and then put out the second part today. We'll talk about the second part tomorrow on the program. But he put out, and he does this every year, the five teams that he could see making a jump in the NFL this season. And then he does the flip side of that as well. And so he starts out the article by talking about since the league went to its current standings and schedule format, this happened back in 2002, an average per year of six teams have made repeat trips to the playoffs each season. So what that basically means is 50% turns over year to year. Last year, there were just five of the 12 teams that had made it the season before that made it again. It was just four the season before that. So even though you feel like, oh, it's the Patriots every year or it's the Steelers every year, even though it was not the Steelers last year, just as one example, that doesn't tend to be the case. Steelers, Vikings, and Panthers, all three missed the postseason last year, and they were teams that were certainly trendy picks going into the season. And then you had the Colts. They were ahead of schedule. You didn't expect Andrew Luck to be back at that level that quickly. And maybe you didn't expect the draft picks to be quite as good as they were, as fast as they were. And the Bears, another example. You had a new head coach in Matt Nagy. You had Trubisky that you didn't necessarily believe in. But you make Khalil Mack happen, and then that defense just absolutely dominates. And they end up an eyelash away from advancing in the playoffs. And by an eyelash, I mean a Cody Parkey double-doink field goal at the end of that game. So... He's done this over the past couple of years, meaning Barnwell. And his statistics and the way that he usually has done it, it's been pretty good, actually. So here are the five teams that he puts out there. And we'll see whether or not you agree with these. 
He starts out with San Francisco. I think this one's fairly easy. This is a 4-12 and team from a year ago. And they lost Jimmy G. They lost Jimmy Garoppolo, who they got from New England and then extended with a huge money deal. They lost him in week three. They actually got good backup play from Nick Mullins, who actually had almost identical stats to Garoppolo in a lot of categories, and C.J. Beathard. And so I think that some of that means you need to give Kyle Shanahan some level of credit for his system being transferable to other guys. The emergence of George Kittle was huge. He came from basically nowhere. And I'm on Outkick the Coverage hosting all week with Jeff Schwartz, and Jeff said the thing that impresses him most about Kittle is what an unbelievable blocker he is. But I think maybe nothing was more surprising in last season of the NFL than how Kittle emerged from a guy I had never heard of before, or if I had, I had completely forgotten it and put it out of my mind, to one of the three to four best tight ends in the NFL. At a position that's pretty deep. I mean, there are a lot of really good tight ends in the league. George Kittle was, at times, just as good as any of them, if not better, and his numbers were absolutely outrageous. One thing that you saw last year from the 49ers was in the red zone, they were awful. They were 30th in the league in red zone, averaging just over four points per trip. So that's not what you need. You want that to be better, certainly, going forward. And that's going to be true of every team that's going to make this list or any team in the league, for that matter. But if Jimmy Garoppolo does come back and he's healthy, now he's not been able to stay healthy for more than five games yet. We haven't seen that. So if he's able to stay healthy, and what we saw at the start of last year was a Jimmy G that, I'm not saying he came back down to earth, but he did not look as transcendent as he did in the back stretch of that five or six games where he played at the end of the season before. I guess it was five games. And you can attribute some of that success to when he came in, nobody was really prepared for what he was going to do and what that offense was going to look like with him. So they were able to catch some teams off guard that then had an off season to prepare knowing, okay, we're playing the 49ers. We're playing against Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's go back and look at what he does well, where he struggles, where we can take advantage of this football team. And then they looked pretty mortal, really in the first few games of the season. So there are a lot of question marks surrounding that team, but a four-win team getting their starting quarterback back in year three of Kyle Shanahan's time there, that is one where I think it's hard to disagree that they should be better. It's not a particularly easy division. We don't know what Arizona's going to look like just yet, but you assume they're going to be better than they were a season ago just because Kyler Murray, I don't know if he's going to be as good as the hype indicates, but he should be better just because he's married to the right system and they have an offensive-minded head coach i don't necessarily believe in kingsbury but steve wilkes was in over his head in that particular job so they're probably going to be a little bit better the seahawks are still going to be a formidable team losing baldwin hurts but russell wilson is still going to have them going they're going to be able to run the ball again that's where they're going to commit most of their offense they drafted metcalf they made some good moves there defensively They're not the same team that they have been, but they're still going to be okay. And then the Rams might be one of the teams that we'll be talking about tomorrow that could take a step back, at least from where we've seen them last year and the year before. But you can look at San Francisco and say, okay, that one makes sense. So that's number one. Number two is the Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers, similar 
to the 49ers in that they had a starting quarterback that was not healthy. Now, Cam Newton tried to go through it. Finally, they were able to shut him down, but he had shoulder issues. He was getting banged around. He's been banged around a lot. That was a 7-9 and nine football team that has a lot of weapons. They've got DJ Moore. They've got Christian McCaffrey. They still have Keekly. They've still got a good defense. But Cam is sort of the make or break here. In the first half of the year, I don't think they were Super Bowl contenders, but they were certainly threats to make real noise. And then they just simply could not do that. They may have overperformed early and then underperformed late. They were a 6-2 and two football team. One of those came by a 63-yard field goal from Graham Gano to beat the Giants. They were down 17 to nothing against the Eagles, if you remember that game where they came back and won in the fourth quarter. That was when people started to question Carson Wentz, and you started to hear the Nick Foles questions, and the, maybe Foles should be in this game, and blah, 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 all these things. But Carolina, the entirety of Carolina's trajectory has been so peaks and valleys. If you look at it, and it really comes down to how they do in the closest games. Over just the past four years, in 2015, when they went 15-1, and one, they were 6-1 and one in one-score games. In 2016, where they were four games under 500, they were 2-8, and 2-6, and six, rather. 2017, they were 11-5, and five, a 7-1 and one team at that point. And then in 2018, they were 2-7. and seven. They lost their last five. They went 0-5 after being a little bit above the Mendoza line prior to that. And then... That is pretty much dictated how they've done. So if they can somehow win close games, and this is probably true for a lot of teams, and it's certainly true for a couple of other teams on this list, then that can get them into the playoffs alone. Now, Barnwell talks about these teams as, to make this list, you could see them winning four more games than they have the year prior. I do not think that the Carolina Panthers are going to go 11-5 and this season. I do think they could go 9-7. and I do think that the NFC South is probably the best division in football. They've got one team that you can't trust in Tampa Bay, even though the third team on Barnwell's list is the Tampa Bay Bucks, who were a 5-11 and team last year. They've still got Jameis Winston, but Bruce Arians did write a book called The Quarterback Whisperer. So one would think if anybody can turn this Jameis experiment around and make this offense better, it is Arians, although... They scored a lot of points last year with whoever was playing quarterback. Todd Monken's offense worked. It was just that they had an all-time awful defense that anytime anybody got in the red zone, their average was given up like 5.3 points per trip to the opponent. I mean, they were brutally bad. And guess what? They're still going to be brutally bad this year. So that's going to make it more difficult. But if you exclude Tampa Bay, Carolina, if Cam Newton can stay on the field, and he said he's going to be able to play through and work around the shoulder problems that he's had, and he should be healthier this year. Matt Ryan and the Falcons could make the Super Bowl out of the NFC. They have the talent offensively. They have some depth defensively. If Ridley takes good strides in year two, Julio, I mean, they've got everything that you want, and they've got a steadying force in Matt Ryan that can flat out get the job done. They've got two former league MVPs in Cam Newton and Matt Ryan. Notice I didn't mention Drew Brees, and that, of course, is the other team, and that's the Saints. The Saints might be a team that could take a step back in terms of record just because they still don't have a ton of talent around Breeze offensively. They've got Thomas, who they just paid 100 mil to on his extension, and they've got Kamara. 
But then they've got a bunch of dudes that Drew Brees has thrown to earlier in the year that you had never seen before, that you weren't even sure that they were actually real NFL players. And Drew Brees is 40, and he broke down a little bit before the end of last season. But that is a incredible division if you look at it top to bottom. I still say that the third team on the list being 5-11 and Tampa Bay, ain't no way they're going 9-7 and this year. They will be better because Arians is a better coach than Dirk Cutter. Arians is a proven coach. And he is somebody that has brought in some veteran guys for his staff that might have been in bad situations or were a step above where they needed to be at the time in toxic problems. And so he's going to bring them in. And I think that they are going to be a much more organized, better, just you're going to feel like that's a cohesive team. Now, Jameis can make you feel uncohesive. And he has now come out and said, look, you don't have to be elite. I don't have to be elite. I'm learning that I can just check the ball down, blah, blah, blah. I guess that's true, but he's already sounding like a guy who doesn't expect to be very good this year, which I don't know what that portends for the future of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The other two teams on this list from Bill Barnwell, both from the same city, one of them I sort of agree with, one I have an incredibly hard time agreeing with. And then I want to give you some names of some teams that were not mentioned here that I think should be a part of this list. So when we come back, I'll tell you about the other two teams on Barnwell's list and then who I would add to the list and maybe replace a couple of the teams on his list with. Also, Hard Knocks is tonight, episode one. As anticipated a Hard Knocks as we have ever seen in the NFL. We'll get you all set for that, and I'll recap a little bit of what Dave McGinnis told me last summer when I had him on the show as it relates to what this series is and what it is not. Also, just a programming note, tomorrow on Outkick to Coverage, uh, Jeff Schwartz and I will have Coach Mack on to discuss the experience of being a part of Hard Knocks and All or Nothing with the Rams. Uh, and it's a perfect time to have him on, obviously, because we're all going to be watching HBO tonight. We'll be right back. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Hope your Tuesday is going great. We're doing fantastic around here. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. This program brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They're dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate, renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. Reminder, I'll be on tomorrow. will not be on Thursday because Titans preseason action. Game number one, coverage begins here on the zone at 4.30, Titans and Eagles from Philadelphia finally get to look at this football team in its first real action-ish, you know, it's preseason. But we're all going to be paying attention, and of course we'll all react to that on Friday here on the zone. I'm reacting to this Bill Barnwell article, the first part of it. I'll talk about the second part of it, which is the declining potential teams in the NFL tomorrow on the show But looking at the five teams that he has picked that are likely to improve, he starts with the 49ers, then he talks about the Panthers and the Bucks. We didn't talk a lot about the Bucks, but we talked enough about them. I do think that that's a tough division to improve in because the NFC South is so good. And you look at the entire division, if the Panthers are going to improve from 7 and 9, if the Falcons are potentially Super Bowl contenders, if the Saints are still potentially Super Bowl contenders, You can't have four teams in the same division winning eight games, I don't think. 
So five and eleven Tampa Bay, maybe five and eleven Tampa Bay again. Maybe they're six and ten. I can't imagine they're too much better than that, even though I think Arians is a drastic improvement. I think that's a very good hire for them. I still just don't believe in their quarterback situation. Maybe Jameis is going to prove me wrong. I hope that he does, as a matter of fact. Don't want to see him fail. They've got a ton of talent down there at receiver. O.J. Howard, I think, is still somebody that we have not seen the best football from yet. Mike Evans is, we know what Mike Evans is. The running back situation is not ideal with Jones and Barber, but they can, at times, be relatively explosive. Their problem's on the other side of the ball. Their defense is just bad, really bad. And Levante David's going to miss about a month based on an injury that he suffered in camp, and they certainly need him out there. But they just don't have a ton on that side of the football, so who are they going to stop? And all of the teams they're playing have weapons that are probably going to torch them. When you think about the Panthers and the Falcons and the Saints, those are three teams you don't want to play as a defense if you're not confident on that side of the football. The fourth and fifth teams on Barnwell's list are both from the same city, the same state. It's the Jets and the Giants. The Jets I can kind of understand. You've got a new head coach there in Adam Gase, and that's where I kind of would not necessarily put him on the list just because I don't know what Adam Gase is. I know what people tell me, and I know what he tells me he is. I know he is a very good offensive mind. Darnold should be better with Adam Gase, but they still don't have very much at wide receiver. That's something that they have not addressed. The Jets have never been a franchise that's been afraid to pay the glitzy free agent, though, and so they went and they paid Le'Veon Bell, just like they paid Darrell Rivas, just like they paid Brett Favre. Remember that? I mean, they will bring in those kind of guys. That's what the Jets do. This is very on-brand for them to be the team that pays Le'Veon Bell. Now, Le'Veon Bell didn't play last year. His body ought to be in really good shape as long as there's not a lot of rust to knock off. He seems driven. There was a reputation that he garnered last year, I would say, especially when James Conner came out and played well in Pittsburgh. So he could come out motivated to try and prove something. He's already apologized to fantasy owners told him go ahead and draft me this year i'm going to be a beast he may well be darnold i loved sam darnold i thought he was the number one pick should have been the number one pick baker may have proved me wrong on that baker was great last year but darnold ought to be better this year he's gonna have to make better decisions than he did a season ago But the Jets, if you look at the division, like I was saying that it's hard for me to agree with Barnwell about Tampa Bay because somebody in the South is going to lose games. The East is not quite like that in the AFC. This was a 4-12 and team last year. I easily think the Jets could be number two in the division this year. You've got Fitzpatrick that looks to be the starter in Miami over Josh Rosen. I think Rosen can play, but I think it's going to take time. They've got a new coach lacking experience in Flores. They have gotten rid of a lot of the skill on that team as well. So that is very much a work in progress. The Bills have Josh Allen at quarterback. I don't need to say anything else past that. The Jets from 4-12, and 12, Adam Gase in offensive mind, Darnold in his second year, and Le'Veon Bell, they should finish second in the division. If they don't, I think it's an outright failure unless for some reason Miami goes out and wins 10 games or Buffalo surprises the world and wins 10 games. This was another team, the Jets, in games decided by seven points or fewer, they were 1-5. and five. They have a relatively easy schedule this year compared to many in the league. And so you can look at this and say from 4-12 and 12 to 8-8, eight and eight, you could maybe see that. If Le'Veon Bell stays healthy, 
and is anything approaching what he was in Pittsburgh? And it turns out that the, a lot of the success was Bell himself and not the system and not Roethlisberger and not having Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster and all of that talent around the field to at least make defenses respect other places and not have to do what they're going to do with Saquon Barkley this year, then that's a recipe for success for those. Now, it wasn't just Le'Veon Bell. They also paid C.J. Mosley, and they paid Jamison Crowder, and that's going to be a lot of money out there. But it is a better football team at this point than it probably was a season ago. Bell is way better than any running back they've had in a long time. But to think that he is going to be all that he was in Pittsburgh is probably a bit of a stretch. At the same time, they also went out and they drafted Quentin Williams, who's going to help them out even more. You put him next to Leonard Williams and Jamal Adams. They're going to be better on defense as a result of that. I mean, he was an absolute star at Alabama, so they should be better. Now, the Giants were 5-11, and and they're on the list too, and they're another team that seemed to lose games that they should have won. Barnwell says that there were two games that they should have won they did not win, that they played better than their record indicates. They were 4-8 and eight in one-score games. They have a relatively easy schedule as well. But I look at this and I say they traded Odell Beckham. They've still got Eli Manning. They passed on a lot of potentially good quarterbacks last year in the draft and took Saquon Barkley, who's going to have about 1,000 touches this year because they don't have any receivers. Their number one wide receiver going into game one with the injuries that we have seen in camp and the suspension of Golden Tate, it might be Cody Latimer. I'm not kidding you. And then the other guy that you look at and you're like, okay, well, he's a very, very good player at his position is Evan Ingram, the tight end. But Ingram is hurt more often than not. So I don't even know that you can potentially rely on him. So you've got an aging Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, who's not ready yet, who's probably not going to play this season, at least until the Giants are totally out of contention. Unless Eli gets hurt, of course. And then you've got a bunch of banged-up wide receivers that can't play. One that's torn his ACL, another one that has a broken thumb, and then one that's going to miss the first month of the season, and he's your veteran guy in Golden Tate. So even if they were better than their record indicates a season ago, I find it hard to believe that they would be above who I would put on this list in place of them would be somebody like Pittsburgh. We'll see whether or not Juju Smith-Schuster is a wide receiver one because now he's going to see a lot of the attention Antonio Brown used to take off of him. And he was not as good after Antonio Brown, after they finally shut that down in that final week of the season. Juju was double teamed and his numbers dropped precipitously. Now, maybe he'll be able to make the adjustment. I think he's a fine player, but he is not as good as Antonio Brown, I don't think. Just like James Conner, I don't think is as good as Le'Veon Bell, but there's something to be said for chemistry. And all of a sudden, no one is talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's like they're an afterthought. All the attention in that division is on the Cleveland Browns. I picked the Steelers to win that division. I'll pick all of the divisions a little bit closer to the season but Pittsburgh to me seems like a team that are they going to win 12 games I don't know but I think they're going to win that division and even winning eight games a season ago they should improve upon that the Vikings need to improve you heard what I said about Kirk Cousins last week I think he may be one of the top five players in the league with something to prove this year his numbers weren't bad but they didn't make the playoffs after making it with Case Keenum the season before Zimmer's defense wasn't all that, but Cousins, even with a 70% completion percentage, didn't make plays late in games to win those games. 
and he's got two absolute superstars in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen to throw the ball to, and one of the better tight ends in the NFC in Kyle Rudolph. So those are two teams that you could look at. And then I think there are probably some other teams out there that maybe you could make a case for as well. So the Giants, I mean, Saquon, I'm worried about Saquon Barkley's health. Let's be real here. Saquon Barkley is going to get the football so often because there's not going to be anybody else. And defenses are going to know that Saquon Barkley is going to get the ball that often. And they're not going to be careful with Saquon. It's not like they're going to see this as a dead year and not run him into the ground. That's not the way this works. It's certainly not the way Dave Gettleman approaches it. Saquon Barkley is going to either make or break the Giants. They're just going to keep on handing him the ball. And we're going to see how good he is against defenses that do nothing but stack up to beat him because they're not worried about the quarterback and they're not worried about the talent down the field primarily. Yeah, they'll keep an eye on Ingram. And maybe somebody emerges or when Golden Tate comes back, he's able to actually show up, unlike he did most of the time in Philadelphia because Carson Wentz never looked at him really. It's going to be fascinating to see how Saquon Barkley's body holds up. I know he's a workout warrior. He seems like a robot. I mean, he's unbelievable. But taking all those hits at that position, we have discussed the longevity of the career of running backs being 2.3 years on average. Now, I think Saquon's going to play a lot longer than that. But his career might be shortened already just because of the sheer quantity of usage with him with the football in his hands just getting smacked play after play after play. That should frighten you if you are a Giants fan. So the five teams at Barnwell listen this article, the 49ers, the Jets, the Giants, the Panthers, and the Bucks. Those are the five teams, he says, according to the numbers and the analytics and taking a look at one-score games and all of these other factors, those are the five teams he thinks are poised to take a gigantic step forward. You can make an argument for all five. I think the Jets probably make sense. I think the 49ers make sense. I think Carolina if Cam stays healthy, makes sense. Tampa Bay, eh, a little wishy-washy on that. And I'm certainly wishy-washy on the Giants. I would throw a couple of other teams in the mix. Like I said, I would go with Pittsburgh. I would think Minnesota. I would also think a six-win Packers team, unless Matt LaFleur is what I think he might be. But even so, I think it's just the change in leadership there from McCarthy to somebody else. And Aaron Rodgers is probably tired of the way he's been talked about over the last handful of months, the article that came out that everybody read from Bleacher Report and how difficult it seems to be to get along with him. And it just seems, and they went and spent money on defense as well and addressed it in the draft. And that's been a problem for them. They've still got talent on offense, even losing Randall Cobb. I mean, whatever's left of Randall Cobb, we'll see what he does for the Cowboys, but Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and we'll see how good Matt LaFleur is. I didn't see very much great last year in Nashville, so I'll be curious to see if he can prove me wrong. We'll be right back. Hard knocks premieres tonight. What to expect, and who's going to get the most camera time? We'll address it. It's the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin. Glad to have you with us. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. You can hear the first hour of Outkick the coverage all week. I'm in with Jeff Schwartz and for Clay Travis this week on Fox Sports Radio. You hear that right before the wake-up zone. 
And I'll be on tomorrow with the Big Six. And we'll look at the other half of Barnwell's article, the part that came out today, which is the five teams poised for a decline. As a matter of fact, I haven't even looked at it yet just because I wanted to focus on the other side. And I'll look at that a little bit later on tonight. But I'll be curious to see if he agrees with me on a couple of teams that were not just in the playoffs, but could have been Super Bowl winners. And maybe one of them was in the Super Bowl as some of those teams that could be taking a step back. So we'll address that tomorrow on the show. I'll also address that certainly on the Big Six. And then Thursday I'll be off as the Titans open up the preseason against the Eagles in Philadelphia. Coverage will start here on the zone at 4.30, so you won't hear me then. You'll hear me Friday as everybody will be reacting on the zone to whatever happens on Thursday night. Hopefully everybody's healthy. That's one thing I want to see this preseason. I don't want to be on the air next week or two weeks from now lamenting the preseason because we've seen three great quarterbacks and a couple of running backs and a wide receiver go down for substantial time that's going to cost them and cost their franchises four to six weeks or something in a regular season or you know god forbid it's an acl or something like that if we can just keep everybody healthy that's what i'm looking for tonight what i'm looking for is hbo hard knocks with the oakland raiders I would imagine probably the most hype going into a season of this show, maybe ever, at least since it started. The first season with the Ravens, it was a new concept then. Then you've had bigger name franchises. You had the Cowboys do it. But this should be. It it is the recipe for great reality TV. Now, when Dave McGinnis was on with me last summer, he talked about being on the show with the Rams and how the teams have final cut. They can say, no, you're not going to air this because they can preview and see everything. And NFL Films is not, it's not a gotcha operation. They're not trying to make the league look bad. They're not trying to make individual players look bad. They're trying to make the league interesting and intriguing and deep and show these guys and make some superstars and make some household names. It is to reflect positively on the NFL. That's not, I think, how a lot of people perceive it. But if you realize, yeah, it's NFL Films, why in the world would they be trying to gotcha their own product? They wouldn't. So that makes me wonder what we're really going to see here. And then I remember John Gruden is a part of this. And if I had to lay money on who is going to be the star coming out of this show tonight, it's going to be Gruden because he has not met a camera he doesn't like. He's going to try and say some stuff because he wants to be the center of attention tomorrow and for the rest of the week and for the rest of the preseason. Even though Mayock was great on TV and great on radio and good in the media, I don't think that Mayock's going to be particularly, not that he won't be featured, not that he won't say things interesting, but I don't think that he's going to say much controversial. Derek Carr has sort of an odd personality. Antonio Brown's going to find his way to the camera as well. But I kind of think Antonio Brown's not going to be quite as much of, I think Jarvis Landry last year with the Browns is going to turn out to give you more content than Mr. Big Chest is this year. But there's still Vontez Perfect, who, if he wasn't playing football, I don't know what he would be doing, but he's certainly volatile, to say the least. Incognito, the Raiders probably need to keep him away from the cameras as much as humanly possible. But this is the Gruden show. Gruden talking about himself and talking about all this stuff and, and saying things like he said last week about how I'm not into dreams, I'm into nightmares. There were so many national shows that picked that up and talked about how wonderful this was and how great it was that Gruden's got this like hard-nosed mentality. And I, Gruden, 
I don't know if he knew that that was being recorded, but that sure sounds like something where you knew you're being recorded and you wanted everybody to hear you say that. Not that I don't think that Gruden believes that. I mean, Gruden is basically a walking pro wrestling catchphrase placed around an NFL head coach. The fake John Gruden was the one that we experienced on ESPN. And that's the one I always rolled my eyes. Look, it's not that John Gruden was bad in the booth. It's that he was phony in the booth. John Gruden's uber critical. The quarterback camp guy that wanted a job that would really meticulously try to pick apart all of the quarterbacks and all of the players, even when they would do non-quarterbacks, that came through there, that was to show how smart John Gruden was. The TV guy that was in the Monday Night Football booth, that was to show how easy it is to be around John Gruden. The last thing that he wanted to do was burn a bridge because he desperately wanted to get back in the NFL, which is why I said from day one when the Tennessee stories were out there about him going to coach in Knoxville that it would not happen, and this was John Gruden wanting to be talked about. He wanted the John Gruden story out there. He wanted the John Gruden narrative to be talked about on radio shows and written about in newspapers and talked about on television programs for as long as he could until that oxygen finally gave way and then he was able to, no, I'm going to stay on TV. He was always going to stay in TV. I don't even buy any reports that it was close. I don't think he ever had any intention of doing that. He's not a college guy. He is a pro guy. He wanted a job in the NFL. He knew he probably would be able to get one. Going back to the Raiders made all the sense in the world. They're going to Vegas. They're going to open this Allegiant Stadium, which if you didn't hear it, got its name yesterday, and they put like the first beam up there, and it's going to open in the summer of 2020. That'll be maybe another background focus if they wanted to talk about something on hard knocks that don't involve necessarily the players or what's happening in this preseason. They could certainly talk about the future in Vegas and they've got basically an entertainer as their head coach. This will be the most interesting coaching side of Hard Knocks since the Jets did it with Rex Ryan. I don't know if that was 2010. That was actually my favorite year of Hard Knocks because Rex Ryan was interesting, because Tannenbaum was fairly interesting, because they had a special teams coach that was fascinating. They had John Connor. They were doing that whole Terminator deal then. They... That year was the last great year. I thought the Browns year was pretty good because you had the rookie in Mayfield, and there were some interesting things there as well. The offensive line coach whose stomach moved every time he talked, Wiley, who now has come out there and basically buried. Did you see this? All this talk about the Browns. And Bob Wiley went on CBS and said that Freddie Kitchens being the head coach is a joke because it was the quarterback's coach that was responsible for the turnaround in the back half of last year, not Kitchens. The Kitchens is getting credit for things that he did not do and that he doesn't think that this head coaching thing is going to work out very well for Freddie Kitchens. There's so much around the Browns. The Browns are going to be quite a storyline this year, whether they come out 6-0 and or 0-6. There are just so many people that want to talk on that show. The Browns this year on Hard Knocks would be pretty good, too. But the Raiders, who weren't going to be able to turn it down because they were one of the five teams that the NFL could compel to do this. Gruden can talk about how this is bad for his team and la, 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 la. Gruden is going to enjoy the cameras being around. Maybe not all the time, 
but he's going to be in front of those cameras so much. The surprising thing would be if he's not. I still don't think this is going to be as entertaining as some people are building it up to be. Because, again, it's not a gotcha show, and they're not going to make the Raiders look that bad. Usually when you watch Hard Knocks, you get the impression that the team that you're watching is better than they are because you're only seeing their training camp and you're seeing things that are pretty well organized. And even though guys are getting cut and you're seeing guys struggle, it's usually done in the confines of, all right, well, they're asking for excellence here. No, you're only seeing one. This is happening in camps across the league. There's not a whole lot of bad training camps. I'm not saying that there aren't better training camps than others, but most of them are run pretty well at this level. These dudes are making millions of dollars. There are still some boneheads and some knuckleheads and some people that are in over their heads. But generally, I mean, like the Titans camp. If you go to the Titans camp, you think the Titans look awfully good. I'm not saying that they're not going to be good. I am suggesting that unless you're taking a training camp tour, like my buddy Alex Marvez is doing right now, he's going to 18 training camps in 14 days. He'll get to see what's working and what's not a little bit more. He'll see who's more cohesive maybe. But you you don't really just watch a camp and think, oh, boy, this team's awful. Like, it's, or at least I don't. So I think that when you watch it, you all of a sudden start to, and this also happens year after year. Usually when you watch Hard Knocks, the team that you're watching becomes more endearing because of these human interest stories and, oh, well, this guy's a hobby. He plays guitar or he likes to cook or whatever like that, and you start to cheer for them a little bit more. I don't know if that's going to be the case with the Raiders. Matter of fact, I would predict it's probably not going to be because Gruden's going to be more abrasive and he's probably going to be obnoxious in the way that he speaks. And there's just some guys on this team that are a little bit harder to root for. I talked yesterday about Jalen Hurts and how I don't know that there's anybody easier to root for than Jalen Hurts in all of college football. I'm not sure that there is anybody harder to root for in the NFL, and this is not just because I'm a Broncos fan, than Gruden and the Raiders right now. And it's not because all of them, I mean, Josh Jacobs has an incredible story, and they can tell that, and they probably will tell that. Derek Carr and John Gruden's relationship is something that you can watch, whether or not Gruden likes him or hates him. There are varying opinions as to what he thinks of his quarterback. The Antonio Brown thing, I don't know if that ruined Antonio Brown for you or if it was just a guy trying to get paid and trying to get out of where he was to use the leverage that he wanted. I think Antonio Brown's quickly going to discover just how good he had it in Pittsburgh. Could be wrong. Don't think that I will be. But we'll be watching Hard Knocks, and I'll talk about whatever we do see tonight. I'm sure there will be some kind of fireworks, something that will be said that we'll be able to discuss tomorrow. I don't think this is going to be an A-plus hard knocks all the way through the year. I think the expectations are too high, and as a result, I think it's just going to be, yeah, that was pretty good when we get to the end of it. I think it'll probably be about a B-plus year. It should be one of the better ones, though, and relentlessly, we need it. We're starved for football. Thursday, preseason begins for the Titans and begins for a lot of teams around the league on Thursday and Friday. That is going to be a lot of fun until we remember that preseason football is not generally all that much fun except for your team. So Hard Knocks is still going to be welcomed. We'll be right back to finish up the Tuesday edition of the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program here on a Tuesday evening in the Music City. Glad to have you with us. It is the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. 
We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to making renting your home easy, fast, and worry-free. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. The 9 a.m. potential kickoffs for the Pac-12. This morning on Outkick the Coverage, we talked to Petros Papadakis on Fox Sports Radio, who, of course, played for USC and is L.A. radio host, but also does Pac-12 games and does college football games for Fox. And he explained this in a way I had not really thought about it before. One, he said the kids aren't going to care. The players aren't going to care. They can get up and be ready to go. And he laid out the way he used to, he joked about malt liquor, but he said they used to drink liquor, you know, all night the night before and eat double cheeseburgers and stuff constantly and then show up and be able to run 20 wind sprints in 14 seconds and all that. That when you're young like that and you're an athlete, you can do that. And he said he still only had 5% body fat at the time. But he said, here's the real explanation. They had a conference as their, you know, the SEC does the same thing and ESPN brings all their analysts in and they have like a college football seminar. Well, they had a seminar for Pac-12 and Petro said that the big problem here for the Pac-12 as it relates to the 9 a.m. kickoffs, he said it was David Shaw of Stanford that first sort of pitched this idea. The idea is that it's not the East Coast bias in terms of the rankings as much as it is stuff like when you have bona fide Heisman candidates like a Christian McCaffrey or a Toby Gerhardt or something like that, there are highlight packages that play all day long on the SEC on CBS of Tua or on ABC of Trevor Lawrence or all these players from the East Coast because they're playing. And so you see these highlight packages, and Heisman voters see all these highlight packages. You don't see the highlight packages of Justin Herbert from Oregon at 3 when he's going to play at 10 or 11 at night. And so they miss the window for their players and stars to actually become stars in the eyes of the country. So as a result, no one is paying attention to a lot of the performances and the individual performances in particular. And so he talked about that. And then, yeah, certainly it does not help the perception when you're trying to get into a college football playoff and you're trying to impress a committee and all of that. But really, it seems like, at least from Shaw's perspective, it has more to do with making sure that these guys on these teams are known and recognized and have a chance to justly win awards. And that was the term that Petros used. He said justly. And he mentioned Christian McCaffrey justly. Now, we're in an era where usually it's becoming a quarterback. It's the best quarterback because it's a quarterback's league in college almost as much as it is in the NFL. And a quarterback is the glamour position. But you can look at a 9 a.m. kickoff and having your name and your highlights in these highlight packages that run during halftime of these other games or even just like the montage stuff, the sizzle reels for these guys that you see when you're just doing discussions and pregame and things of that nature, that would benefit those Pac-12 schools. So that's not really a way that I had looked at it before. I don't know that it's actually going to happen. And if it does happen, I still expect that you're going to see mostly teams like Utah and Colorado who are not going to be on Pacific time, but mountain time. So it'll be an hour change there but then the east coast will still be watching them at earlier spots but i don't know that that matters because i don't know that utah and colorado have heisman candidates or have aspirations of being in the college football playoffs. so it's still going to be a problem i also think that it is 
not as likely. I think Larry Scott, if you read the original press release, and I talked about this last week or when he first started talking about it, they're just trying to think of anything because the Pac-12 has become relatively irrelevant in both basketball and football, and that should not happen. The Big 12 has struggled, but they've still got Oklahoma, and they've still got Texas, and they had Texas Tech in the national championship game in college basketball against Virginia, and Oklahoma State's usually in the discussion. The Pac-12 has fallen on some tough times. I don't know that USC is very good. I don't think Clay Helton is all that good. We'll see what Graham Harrell can do uh, as their offensive coordinator. Mike Leach and, and that team is good, but I don't think they're ever going to win a national title. And Pullman, you've got Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies who are sort of on the doorstep, but they don't seem to be a threat to Clemson and Alabama on a year-to-year basis. They just don't quite have enough there. And that might be the East Coast bias in me. So maybe you're looking at these 9 a.m. kickoffs if you're the Pac-12 and you're like, hey, yeah, this is probably worth exploring. But that's the key. It's worth exploring this stuff. You should always be open to ideas. But I do think it's interesting that the idea of the Heisman is actually playing into this, at least in the discussions as it relates to the seminar. I'll be on Outkick the Coverage tomorrow morning and for the rest of the week. You'll hear the first hour here before the wake-up zone. And then Big Six tomorrow will be off Thursday. Titans-Eagles on Thursday night on 104.5 The Zone. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.